during May, we're going to look at the book of Titus. And the reason that we're going to uh, look at the book of Titus is, is Paul's letter to Titus, giving instruction about what churches uh, should look like. But one is very practical. It's not like all this biblical theological stuff that sometimes you have to follow me. I mean, it's very straightforward. But more importantly, and the reason I read our Old Testament lesson, is we talk a lot in uh, our Reformed churches and here at Redeemer, we talk a lot about grace, don't we? The grace is free, it's the work of Christ. Uh, and so you, you come without money, you, you come and you buy because grace is free. And at the same time, to come to Christ costs you everything. And so God desires for his people not only to know the indicatives of the gospel, I am resting in Christ. Christ has finished the work. But because you're resting in him, you can begin to grow in the gospel. And a knowledge of what all that means for you. Uh, Paul puts it this way, and we'll get this in, uh, in a couple of weeks. But in 2 Timothy, I mean, in 2, 2 Titus chapter 2, he says this, and then we'll look at our text. Notice what he says. For the grace of God has appeared through Jesus Christ, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. There is a reason, if you're a Christian, that God has call, called you. If you're born of the Spirit, He didn't unite you to Jesus uh, so you can just do what you want to do. And so that's why we're looking at times. So... With that in mind, I want you to turn to our text uh, this morning. Uh, this is uh, concerning elders, the kind of men that we should choose from among us, and why we should choose these men is what we're going to look at really today. Uh, verse 5. Follow along with me as I read. This is God's Word. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or a violent or a greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And there's a four here that we're going to look at, um, especially this morning, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are setting whole, whole families, upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain, that which ought not be taught. One of the Cretans, a prophet uh, of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure... All things are pure, 
But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, in the time that we have together, we pray that you would make your word clear to us. Our Lord, there might be those who are here today that are just struggling to put one foot in front of the other, and, and they're looking at this text, and, and, and um, uh, they're wondering how it's going to apply to their concerns for this week. But Father, once again, I pray that you would show all of us, wherever we are in our station with you, whether we know you or not, that your word is always applicable to whatever our circumstances, for your word is living and true. And so we make, pray that you would make your word alive in our ears. Father, make it alive upon the tongue of a sinful man, uh, so that we might know that Jesus Christ is truly the Lord of glory, uh, raised from the dead, and is coming again. And we ask these things in his name. And for his sake, amen. It's Mother's Day. Uh, And there are a lot of reasons that we should uh, honor our mothers, especially godly mothers. Uh, I think it's good that we set a a day aside and reflect, honest to goodness, on mothers. We probably ought to do it twice, maybe three times a year, actually but to reflect on all the sacrifices that they make, the things they do, to make a family financially healthy. Read Proverbs 31, spiritually healthy and emotionally healthy. And so they should be honored. And in this nurturing that they create this atmosphere, this environment in a family where there's love and grace and mercy and, there's, and yet there's, there's discipline and there's order uh, that she seeks to bring, uh, where that kind of environment where, where the husband can flourish and where her children can flourish. And so mothers, and especially God, godly mothers, should be, uh, be honored. Now, at this point, most of you are already starting to check out because you're feeling guilty because you're going, I'm not that mother. Um, well, listen, there's no perfect mother. In fact, in our text, it says an elder should be above reproach. It doesn't say he should be perfect. I'm not perfect. Uh, but the reason I'm using uh, Mother's Day illustration, I'm, I'm kind of crassly using it as a point I want to make here. Because what is really true also of a family, right, where there's nurturing and there's care and there's uh, spiritual health and emotional health in a family, the same should be true in a church uh, where the gospel is preached. Uh, and it's in, in that kind of church where, where the gospel can be nurtured we're constantly talking about God Almighty as a God who's not only holy, but He's merciful, and He's the Father of mercy. We talk about it. And we talk about Jesus Christ, uh, who has come once for all, and He's forgiven you all your sin, past, present, and future. Uh, And where churches are healthy in this way, we're always setting forth Jesus Christ, then I believe unbelievers will come. Every Sunday, I think we have unbelievers who come, and they come come back because there is this sense where, whoa, this is not about your performance. This is about your standing before God. You're accepted in the beloved. And therefore, with each other, we love one another. And it creates this incredible atmosphere, or it should, 
uh, of where uh, people can gather together and talk about what, what does the gospel mean. Now let me tell you, the Apostle Paul was concerned that there would be healthy churches. In fact, every church that he was planting was new. Do you understand that? They, they weren't even as old as Redeemer. But he's planting a bunch of them. And, uh, and he's concerned uh, that they won't last. They won't take root. And you know what? The reality is so many of them didn't for reasons that we'll see here in a little bit. But, but Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. I, I tell you, as, as a pastor, yeah, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. But, you know, when Paul gives this whole list in 2 Corinthians 11 where he says, I've uh, been beaten 39 times, 5 times for you teenagers, for you to have the gospel that you, you might not believe right now. There was a man named Paul who was beaten five times with 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with a rod. He goes on to say he was stoned for us, for the gospel. And, uh, but then he says this, on top of all these things, you can read the list, a whole lot more stuff happened to him. And why? Because he met Jesus, okay? <laughs> and he understood the gospel. But he says this, and apart from, uh, from other things... Paul says, there is this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak. Paul understood the significance of the church, probably more so than most of us. We take it very lightly. Well, I don't need the church. I'm a spiritual person. I don't need the church. I'm going to have a quiet time. I don't need to go to church on Sunday morning. But the Apostle Paul is concerned for the church because that is the bride of Christ. And he wants every individual local church to be healthy. And so Paul sends Timothy and Titus to set things in order as to how churches should be as God intended. And like mothers who are at the heart of a healthy family, so is leadership in a church. And so he's going to address leaders and the kind of leaders that you need to choose. Now the title of my sermon was The Learning Process, if y'all see that. And for any of y'all that read the title and go, huh, I wonder if he's going to connect that title. Well, I'm going to do that right now. The learning process is T-D-O-E-E. -E. We teach all of our, uh, our elders, our deacons in training, our women's ministry, everybody in leadership goes through uh, philosophy of ministry. But the T-D-O-E-E -E is this. You teach, you demonstrate, you observe, you evaluate, and you encourage. T-D-O-E-E, right? -E -E, that's the learning process. But the bottom line, and I tell elders this, I tell the deacons this, I tell our women's leadership this, and I have to think about this all the time. It doesn't matter what I teach as long as I don't demonstrate it. Right? You can say, like if you're a mom and you go, oh, we believe in the sovereignty of God, and you're freaking out all the time. Do you understand? You've just demonstrated you don't believe that God is sovereign. And of course, this takes faith. This takes uh, the body of Christ. This takes like a rock and a tumbler. You just kind of tumble it over and over and over again. What is, what is the gospel? How does this apply to me? And so Paul gives the qualifications that we looked at last week in an elder. Uh, that he must be above reproach. Uh, so some people brought up the question, what about, uh, it says, believing children who are not insubordinate? Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time with that, but let me tell you another way to translate that is uh, the uh, children um, uh, who, make, who make profession, um, but, but it's children in the context of 
Children, the Greek word children. So in other words, the context is if they can't manage their own family, if they're not managing their family, it's not saying that they're born-again people. Right? You disqualify an elder or a teacher or pastor who's got five believing children on the mission field and he has one that doesn't believe, then you'd say, I guess you're not an elder. But the context is that we need to have leaders that if they're not willing to discipline their children, even if they're difficult and don't believe, and they're passive men, you don't need them to be doing discipline in the church because they won't do it. They won't get together with you and go, hey, you can't be doing that to your wife. Hey, you can't be doing that. Hey, you can't be gossiping. Right? So, so Paul is trying to say we need these kind of leaders. But let me tell you what above all he says. And let me just say to you who are elders, above all. Notice what he says in verse 9 because that's going to wheel us around to verse 10 and following. Listen to this. I want everybody to look at this verse. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. You see that verse 9? That's great you have all these personal qualities and every elder and I should and we should have these. We should be above reproach, right? Yeah. All you ministers. But above all, he should know the word of God. That's why we send men to seminary for three or four years and they learn Greek and Hebrew. Because a lot of times you look at something in English, you go, well, there it is, that's plain in English, but it's not that plain in the Greek or the Hebrew, like the passage that I just looked at. But now, he tells us why we need to have men who are called and choose men from among us who love Christ, who love the Word, who are able to teach the apostolic faith. Because without that teaching, none of you will change. And even if I preach the apostolic faith, unless the Holy Spirit accompanies what I'm saying, you won't change. You just won't. And so, notice what he says in verse 10. This is why we need to have these men. Therefore, I'm sorry, verse 10, where he says, uh, that they're, they're, uh, let me turn here to my text. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. And so Paul in verse uh, 14, 13 says, Therefore rebuke them sharply. Now before I give you my points, and uh, I'm going to have to be brief on them this morning, but you might be saying, well, who determines what the truth is? And you already kind of wonder, if you're halfway intellectual, you've already done that. You're going to, okay, so the pastor up there is going to tell me who a cult is and who not, who's not a cult. He's going to tell me what the truth is. How do we know what the truth is? And who can say? Well, I want you to bear with me because I can get that in the end if you're asking that question. I was talking to a young teenager coming here and he's thinking about going off to college and being a philosophy major. And so we were talking and I said, hey, I'd love to get together and talk philosophy. But one of the essence of philosophy is to deal with the question, how does anybody know anything? How do we know? Who's to say? Right? Well, let me tell you, there is a power in the authority of the written word of God as it was presented by the apostles. And you kind of know when it rings true. Unless you're a reprobate. And you're ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth, which might be true of some of you, as we'll see in our text. 
But Paul does say this. However you look at that, there are those who are coming in the household of faith and upsetting them because they are turning people away from the truth. And the truth brings life. The truth is not only convicting, that we far so, fall so far short, but the truth is also convicting that God has bridged that gap. And if you're indifferent about that, then it's a sign that your heart is just completely dead to gospel realities. And so, three things. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at how Paul identifies these men who are false teachers. He identifies them. We're going to look at that, okay? And then we're going to see how uh, they affect the church. And it's not a good thing. He's upsetting whole households. And then finally, he tells us how we are to deal with those who are false teachers. Very clearly in this text. So the first thing is this. Paul identifies... These men who are false teachers. Notice what he says in verse 10. For there are many. And I thought about this. I went, wow, many? He didn't say a few. He says there are many within the church. And this is a church that just started. Who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision part. If you look at verse 10, you remember, notice how it has a four there? Four. It, it, it takes you to what's above and takes you to what's below. What's above is saying, this is why you need elders. Men who love the truth. And again, if you're an elder here, I'll tell you this. If, if you don't have a love for the, the truth, and I believe all these men do, but it's a constantly, you got to go, I need to apply the truth to my life before I can apply it to other people. But he's saying, this is why you know, choose men who know the truth, who can deal with this within the church. Now, the church has always had trouble. You understand that Jesus said from the very beginning, the church will always have tribulation. But I'll tell you this, if you study the scripture and if you study church history, you know where most of the problems have occurred? Not outside the church. I was at Normal Town Bar uh, at an um, art show yesterday. And I'm in there and I'm thinking... You know, boy, I hope I can continue to engage. I'm getting old. But it's a very different crowd. And though they might be opposed to the church, that's not who really opposes the church. It's always right here at Redeemer. It's always at First uh, Baptist Watkinsville. Faith Presbyterian Church. The pressure has always come from within the church. False teachers. Those who are ever learning but never coming to the truth. Those of you who are always on the fringes yourself and you love to hear all this teaching and all these fascinating uh, theories about X, Y, and Z, but you yourself have never settled with Jesus Christ and all the implications of what that means. You see, Jesus says there will be problems. In Matthew 18, he talks about church discipline. Have you ever looked at Matthew 18? He says, hey, if you see your brother sin, you go to him. Hey, I wonder how many of us do that in the first place. Hey, listen, this, I feel uncomfortable telling you because I'm a sinner, but you know what? You can't be talking to your wife that way. You can't be doing that. And then if your brother hears you, great. If not, you remember what Jesus says, get two or three and go to him and say, hey, you can't be, you can't be doing that. Do y'all remember that passage, by the way? <laughs> Very clear. 
And then Jesus, Jesus, this sweet Jesus, who's merciful, says, then take that brother and bring him before the whole church. And if he'll not listen to the church, then treat him as a Gentile. Treat him as an unbeliever. That's pretty serious stuff. But then, uh, of course, uh, we, we see throughout uh, the writings of scriptures. Remember in Acts chapter 20, where the Apostle Paul has uh, been teaching and preaching in Ephesus day and night. Day and night. And then when he's leaving, uh, he gets out on the, uh, the seashore before he sails off and he sits down with the elders. And you know what he says to the elders? Pay careful attention to yourselves and all your flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which you obtained by his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert. This is possible. Paul, after he's been teaching there for, for two or three years, he's going to say, hey, you know what? Things are going to spring up. Just kind of like seeds that get scattered among the wheat. They're called tares. And they look just alike. And, uh, and Jesus says, you've got to wait to the harvest because all the wheat that bears fruit, that has bears fruit, it bows down. And let me tell you this. If you want to serve Christ and you're going to bear fruit, it will cost you. To enter the lives of suffering people to constantly deal with people who are going, eh, I don't know if I believe that or not. And so the, 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 the fruit of being borne down for service of good works, and then, you know what, the, the harvester comes in the end, and all the proud tares that look just like wheat but bear no fruit, is taken down and thrown into the fire. And so Paul is saying, be careful for those who kind of look like they're preaching this gospel, but in reality... They're not in it for the gain of others in the glory of Christ, but for their own gain. And so he calls them several nice things. He calls them insubordinate. Um, that's the Greek word for the alpha man. You know, the alpha dog that comes in and wants to rule the pack. And they're insubordinate. You, you, you can't take, you, some, you, there, there might be some men in here that you just can't teach. They're not willing to submit. They go, well, that's, that's Hal's opinion. This, and I would be willing to admit. Sometimes they give you my opinion. And, it's, and if I do, you probably already know it and hate it anyway. That's okay. But I'm just talking about the truth. That Jesus Christ has come into the world to die for sinners. He's raised from the dead. And there's these uh, alpha men who come in who are insubordinate. You can't teach them. You can't train them. And they're ever learning, but they're never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And they gather about themselves those who are ever learning but never coming to a knowledge. Never knowing the weightiness of feeding upon Jesus, tasting him. And so when they hear something else, they go, wait a minute, that doesn't taste right. So they're insubordinate. They're empty talkers. Uh, you know, it means literally in the Greek, uh, metalage, it means they're unproductive talkers. Uh, I read a book uh, years ago called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he said... He said the key, one of the keys of life is knowing the difference between a concern and a problem. Concerns are things you can never do anything about. Who's going to get elected? Well, I can go vote, but that's my one vote. 
I don't know who's going to get elected. You can be concerned about it. You can be concerned about nuclear war or ISIS. You can be concerned. And so people start talking and thinking about these concerns. But he said, in reality, we have real problems in our life that are our problems, and we need to deal with those. So empty talkers are those who like to talk about all this stuff and get everybody in a stir. But you know what? The gospel will deal with all your problems. It's just a matter of how you apply the gospel. But if no gospel is preached, then you have empty talkers who come in to the people who are ever interested in conspiracy theories. And so they're empty talkers, and then it says they're deceivers, because they themselves are deceived. That's the first thing. And they're everywhere. Have you ever watched TV? And you hear all this stuff and all the ways there's six steps of this and seven steps of that, but you're never hearing. You're a sinner. Come to Christ and settle with Him. Okay, so second thing. He tells us the effect they're having on churches. Notice what he says in verse 11. Uh, They must be silenced. They are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. They're upsetting families. Uh, False teaching, no matter how it is packaged, always upsets in the long run. Can I give you some exa- Can I give you a quick example? And uh, and then I'll come to my last point. This will be my main. The main thing we'll say about this point: upsetting, upset. You know what it means to upset? It's kind of like you turn stuff over. When I first came to Christ, and I was uh, taught, I was one of those that was radically converted. Bam. And then the rest of my life has been trying to understand exactly what Paul did when he was radically converted. You don't have to be radically converted, but you had better be converted. You'd better know Jesus Christ, and he'd better be the centerpiece of your life. But I remember when I first came to Christ, man, I wanted to serve him, right? I didn't ask God to save me, and I'm like, well, you had mercy upon me. I want to serve you. And, of course, uh, there's all kinds of people out there that are willing to tell you exactly what that looks like that has nothing to do with the very gospel that set me free. And so they'll say things like this. And, a man, and I was eating every bit of it, right? You're young. Oh, man, that sounds good. And you start eating it like a rancid piece of meat. And it tastes good initially because you don't taste this rancid. You ever had food poisoning? And all of a sudden it hits. Man, that was great. And you wake up about in the middle of the night and you're puking your guts out. I'm trying to get your attention here. Well, you know, same with doctrine. I'm sitting here. Oh, man, that's great. Let me tell you some of them. Man, the key is meeting in houses. That's what we need to do, meeting in houses. I did that for three years. You don't talk to me about meeting in houses. Ah, oh, that's the key. That is the key to spirituality. And there's a huge movement that's out there. I said, well, we tried that 30 years ago. And then after a while, you go, you don't like everybody in the house church. Then you know what the heck you're doing. And you realize, oh, that's in Book of Acts, they met in houses. You know what? They didn't have buildings to meet in, except the t- pagan temples. Um, Ah, the key is being baptized by the Holy Spirit. I investigated this for years, right? Man, I'm starting to feel like, man, I'm, I'm married to Christ, and I feel like I'm in a dull marriage. So somebody comes and says, ah, it's because you've never been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, yeah, I have. I was converted. The key is understanding the victorious Christian life. I studied that out. Victorious Christian living. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that liveth me. And all these teachings that are out there, and they're getting me completely away from the simplicity of the gospel, which is Christ came into the world for sinners and feed upon him. 
let me put it this way before I come on my last point. You know in John chapter 6, y'all know that passage where Jesus talks about, I am the bread of life? Now, if you're not a Christian, you need to go read some of the things that Jesus said about himself. And he's either very strange or a liar, or you better read about what he's saying because he is saying that he is the living God. But you remember in John 6 when he fed all the 5,000? Remember that? And he gets in the boat and he gets to the other side. And guess what? Ah, everybody's singing. Ha, ah, welfare. That he fed me. So they get in, they, they follow him around. Jesus gets to the other side and they're all there. And guess what? They're going, feed me. Feed me, give me, give me, give me, right? And he says, hey, wait a minute. He says, I'm going to give you bread that if you eat of this bread, you'll never hunger again. And he starts speaking of him being the manna that came down from heaven. Now let me ask them, when you read the Old Testament, if you know anything about the Old Testament, what did the Jews think about that manna after a while? Boring. Boring. I mean, it's coming, to, it's a, miraculously, it's there every day. How could you ever get bored with just the miracle that it's there? Oh, we're just, and apparently it tastes like a Honey Nut Cheerios, I think. It's a wafer with honey on it, and I was like, it sounds good to me. You know, but I guess you get tired of Honey Nut Cheerios. Because you want something different. You want something different on your taste buds. And so they begin to plain. Let me tell you, Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life. And you know what some of you are saying? He's not enough. I need to be able to overcome X. You have same-sex attraction. You can be a Christian and have same-sex attraction. You might have it the rest of your life. Quit, quit asking for the magic formula to get over that and say, well, you know what, Jesus Christ, I don't know why I'm the way I am, but you know what, I know you're better than life. And we get our minds wrapped around these different issues in our life. Or whatever it may be. I could, you pick the subject. I'd love to sit in. If you want to say, hey, well, what about so-and-so? I'm just telling you, it, in, it begins and it ends with Jesus. Which brings me to my, my last point. Paul identifies them, uh, he tells the effects that they're having on churches. Now notice how he tells you to deal with them. How are we to deal with those who are here today uh, that always want to talk about politics? And I, I, I like politics. I know more about politics than I guarantee you most of them. I read all the time about that. I, I like politics. You just never hear it from me from the pulpit and never will because there's a greater kingdom than the one Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton will ever give us. And for you to think otherwise, you're foolish. Because you know what? Whatever happens in this life, you're going to die. And all that matters is what we do for his kingdom. And we're, gonna, we're, gonna live in, we're not going to be in a democracy in heaven. Do you realize that? We will be in a theocratic situation. The reign of Jesus. But give me Jesus versus a Republican, Democrat, or Independent. What is, how does he say to deal with these people? Notice what he says in verse 11. They are to be silenced. Epistomitzen is the Greek word. It literally means, epi against stoma means mouth. It means shut their mouth. That's what it means. They must be muzzled. Uh, if you've got a yapping dog, make sure you put it in the bathroom before I come have dinner with you. Because they drive me crazy. I'm just being honest with you. You say, oh, he doesn't like my little yapping dog. I, well, I, you, no, I wouldn't. But, uh, I, I, but, uh, but they must but just put a muzzle on the dog. Paul is saying, put a muzzle on these people. 
And how are you going to put a muzzle on them? Well, I'll tell you how to put the muzzle on them. It, it, uh, you, you refute them. How do you refute them? Through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? Have some of y'all been here at Redeemer long enough to go, man, all we're ever hearing about is Jesus, and now you're starting to go, man, I sure am glad all we're ever hearing about is Jesus Christ. He says you're to muzzle them. Then he says you're to rebuke them sharply. Who is the them? It could be, it could be the church. It could be uh, the them there. It could be the people. It could be the, 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 these, uh, these false teachers who are ever learning. But I'm just telling you, if you're ever learning, but you never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I doubt seriously you're born again. I, I doubt very seriously you know the gospel at all. Because to come to Christ is to give your life to Christ. And then you'll understand the truth. It makes more and more sense because it's not a proposition. It's a person who says, I am the truth. There are not many, many ways. Now, so I have to conclude, but, let me, but here's the question. The question is, being, okay, here's the fair question. Going back to the original. So how are you, how to say? How are you the one that knows what the truth is? Can I tell you a simple? Number one, do we exegete passages here? Now, if you come from a church where they give anecdotes and nice little stories and this and that and the other, it's not going to help you in the end. Because all he's doing is giving you his opinion, and uh, basically he's wanting you to think about him rather than Jesus Christ and what he has done. It matters not what you think about me. What matters is what the Scripture says about Jesus Christ. You say, well, how would you know? Well, the Scriptures. But do you know every Sunday we do the Lord of the Apostles' Creed, have you all noticed that? You go, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and you go, no, 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 no. Think about it. That's what is the gospel. And, and so Paul says, that, so for the pure, all things are pure. But, but, but for those who are corrupt, uh, pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled. And unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. What does it mean to have a pure heart? Let me tell you, all it means is that Jesus has made you new. That's what it means. And, uh, and anybody that's preaching, come to Christ, look to him, always look to him. Then that's the gospel. Anything other than that is going to set you off course. As we come to the Lord's table, I want to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you if you are a Presbyterian. I'm not asking you if you're a Baptist. I'm not asking if you're baptized in the Church of Christ or Roman Catholic. I'm asking you, do you know Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in him? Then it's finished. And I'll tell you what, tomorrow morning when you wake up, you come to Jesus. And the next day, you come to Jesus. And all your struggles and this and that and the other, there is no secret key. It's Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truths of Scripture. We thank you for the apostles that you gave the, the revelation that we are to rest in Jesus Christ alone, however that works its way out in our lives. And as Todd said, we are all hearing things because we're coming at things different ways. You save people in different ways. Uh, Father, I pray that you would save someone today that they might understand their empty lies and their vain talking, and that they would come to Jesus, who is the sustenance of life. 
And uh, Father, for us who are believers, we pray that you would forgive us for listening to anything other than the scriptures uh, that say, uh, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.